0: This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and develop you into the person God has made you to be. Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to read two verses. Verse 1 and verse 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And then down to verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who Who diligently seek Him. Now, once you become a believer in Christ, uh, it doesn't take very long for you to realize that you will now be living your life in two entirely different dimensions. Humanly speaking, you are a creature of this world. You eat, you sleep, you work, you play, you raise a family, you do everything that everybody else does just to exist in this earthly world. Dimension. But yet, as a believer, you're now a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. According to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 and 6, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the writer there says, We belong to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And like Abraham of old, we seek no continuing city here. We seek one to come whose builder and maker is God. So our life here, right now, is lived in two dimensions. The earthly and the heavenly. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. We live in the natural world and yet there is a supernatural dimension to the Christian life. But here's the thing, it's not the physical life now and then the spiritual life then. It's not the kingdom, this kingdom now and that kingdom then. We are to live in the kingdom of God, we're to live the life of the kingdom of God on earth right now. We're to live in the spiritual life right now in the physical world. But how do we successfully do that? Well, God has equipped us to live in these two worlds. He's given us prayer as a means of communication from earth to heaven. But he's also given us faith as the supply line, if we could put it that way, between heaven and earth. If prayer is the communication of heaven, then surely faith is the currency of heaven. Everything you need to live a successful Christian life in this earthly, physical world. Everything you will ever need to do that, you will have to get and receive from heaven. That's where it comes from. That supply that you need, that's where it comes from, from heaven. And so, how do we get that? We get that through faith. Faith is the currency, faith is the key. Without it, writer says, it is impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But what actually is faith? Now if you're like me, and I suspect that you are, I complicate faith many times. Is that what you do too? We complicate faith. And yet the Bible never, ever complicates faith. In fact, the Bible does the opposite. The Bible simplifies it. The Bible makes it easier so that all of us can reach it. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 13, Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And so, this kingdom of God that we're a part of, even in this earthly life. Everything that we receive from that kingdom, we do it by faith. And God reduces that down to even a child can do it. But we complicate it. I complicate it. You complicate it. We do that. Matthew 17, Jesus there talks about mustard seed faith. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of all of the seeds. So again, he's bringing it down to simplifying it, making it easy for us to understand. And yet we construe to complicate it, don't we? I know I do. So what is faith? Well, it's two things. It's belief and it's trust. Belief and trust. These are two sides of the same coin. Belief relates mostly to how we believe. Trust relates mostly to how we act on what we believe. But the two go together. Now you may believe something as a fact. You're absolutely sure of it as a fact. But would you trust it enough? Would you bet your life on it? Would you trust it enough? Even though you believe it's a fact. One of the jobs I had as a young teenager was an apprentice linesman for the what was called the electricity board in those days. Brian will know what I'm talking about. And one of my jobs as an apprentice linesman was to learn how to climb poles. So you strapped on spurs. And you had a big leather belt. You put the leather belt around the pole and you dug the spurs into the pole. And you went up the pole. Now, the linesman who taught me told me something which strictly wasn't the right way to do it. Uh, But he told me, here's the reason why I'm telling you this. He says, what you're really supposed to do right at the very bottom is put the big leather strap around and then dig your spurs in and then do this with a strap like this. Pull yourself up, dig more spurs in, a little bit more up the whole way. But he says, trouble is if you do that, He says, if you go to dig the spur in and you miss it, or it comes out, he says, you'll hit the bottom before you know what's happened to you. So he says, what I do is I hold on to the pole like this, digging in with the spurs, and then when I get up there, I hold on with one hand, and then I put the belt around me. That seems very awkward, and it was. You had to practice that down below before you climbed at the top. (laughs) Now, the reason why I'm telling you that is because one day, I was up and right up your top at 20 feet, maybe 30 feet, depending on the side of the pole, and I dug the spur and missed it. And thankfully, I had the hands around <laughs> and I was able to hold on and I slid all the way down the pole. And my legs was all, you know, skilfs, you know, the pole, you know, the wooden thing, right in the crease and everything. I was picking them out for days. <laughs> but the belt, back to the belt. Before you climbed the pole, you checked your belt to make sure that it was safe, that there was no big cracks in it, there wasn't cut or anything like that. It was in good form. And you looked at it, and you were absolutely convinced. You saw the thickness of the belt, the size of it. There's no doubt about it. That belt would hold an elephant up there, never mind me. But it's one thing thinking that when you're standing on the ground in terra firma. But when you're 20, 30 feet up, and you have to lean back on that belt, that's when you have to trust it. You believed in it, down there. But up here, you're trusting in it. Your life depends on it. There's Hazel sitting there, his abseil down what? What was that place you at? Was it, the, was it the, the hotel or the... A big building in Belfast. A big building in Belfast. Hazel abseil down that. She's superwoman, that woman. She'll, she's jumped out of aeroplanes, she's abseiled down buildings, she's crossed rivers, she's fought with crocodiles, killed sharks. <laughs> There's nothing that woman wouldn't do. But when she's abseiling down that big building, holding onto that rope, she's trusting it that it's not going to break, that it's going to hold her weight. How you believe will affect how you act. Belief and trust. I think the most important thing about belief, by the way, is who we believe as Christians. Is who we believe. Christian teaching, Christian knowledge is centered on who we believe. Even more than what we believe. Who we believe. What we believe is important. But who we believe is more important. 2 Timothy 1 and 12. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now he could have said but he didn't, I know in what I believe, but he believed a lot. He believed a lot. He spent three years after he got converted, three years in Arabia. You'll not find that in the story in the book of Acts. You'll get it in Galatians (coughs) chapter 1. He says, I spent three years in Arabia. And there he got the revelation from Christ that covers two-thirds of the New Testament. That's the greatest revelation that gives us the understanding of Christianity. Without Paul's revelation, we would struggle to understand Christianity. So he had a lot to believe. A lot was given him, a lot of revelation that nobody else ever got. So he believed all of that. And he taught it. And we're taught it today. We read his writings. It teaches us about the church and Christian living. But he says, I know whom I believed. Because everything he was taught of Christ flowed from Christ. And everything we're taught from Scripture here in the New Testament flows from Christ. I know whom I have believed. See, this is one of the differences between Christianity and all other religions whose leader has died. Uh, take Muhammad, for instance. Islam carried on without Muhammad. Muhammad. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people believe in the teachings of Muhammad. And they revere Muhammad. Say one word against Muhammad and you're in serious trouble, as we find out around the world today. But they don't need Muhammad to be alive. All they needed was his teachings. And they follow his teachings. They revere him, but they follow his teachings. But Christianity without a living Christ is nothing. It's nothing. We need a living Christ. Remember at Calvary, all the three years of teaching that Jesus gave his disciples at Calvary, it went all out the window. They all forsook him and fled. They weren't about to follow his teachings at that point. What made the difference? The resurrection, the living Christ. When they met him after he resurrected, after he was resurrected, when they met the living Christ, everything changed. Now they followed him. Sure, they loved his teachings, and now it all made sense to them. And they taught what he taught them. They taught it to others, but they followed him for the rest of their lives and was prepared to and did die for him. I know whom I have believed. In Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul is on a ship. He's a prisoner. He's going to Rome. You know the story how the great storm brewed up and it looked for a while as if all of them was going to lose their lives. But Paul fasted, prayed, uh, had a wonderful revelation from the Lord that they were going to be fine. In verse 20, uh, 21, verse 21, Now after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, and so forth. Now, that's reading from the New King James, but the authorized version, the King James version, puts it slightly different. The King James version says, whose I am and who I serve. Whose I am and whom I serve. The great secret of the Christian life is to know whose you are. If you know whose you are, you'll find out who you are. People are trying to find out, who am I? What is the purpose for my life? Why am I here? What am I doing? Who really am I? Find out whose you are, and then you'll know who you are. And that's what happened to all of us who are believers today. We found out that we belong to him. Him. Whose I am? And then we find out who we were after that and God's purpose for our lives. We don't just believe in something. We believe in someone. This is the essence of faith. Your trust, your belief is in the person of Christ and everything flows from that. Amen? Amen. In Matthew chapter 8, there's the story, of course, of the, uh, the leper who was cleansed. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He had no doubt that he was evil. So I came to him in the first place. Not a question in his mind that he was able. The question was, can I trust him to do it? Now isn't that our problem many times? We have no doubt that God can do anything. But can we trust him to do it for us? That's where the rub comes, isn't it? That's where the rubber hits the road really, isn't it? That's all of our problem, isn't it? Unless you have got super faith... That you have no doubt whatsoever. Most of us, we have no doubt, we would never question God's ability, but our problem comes, can we trust him to do it for us? And so, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Jesus settled the issue, didn't he? He got to the heart of it. He says, yes, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leper was cleansed. And then if you read on down to verse 5, And when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion had no doubt whatsoever that Jesus could do it. None at all. That's why he went to him. He'd heard the testimonies. He'd heard the story. And for all we know, maybe he had seen Jesus in action. Maybe he'd seen Jesus heal people. For all we know. Well, we knew he had no doubt about it because that's why he came. Uh, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go and he goes. To another, come and he comes. To my servant, do this and he does it. And Jesus heard it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Ah. Not only had this man no doubt that Jesus could heal his servant. He had no doubt he would. He was so convinced of that. He said, you don't even need to come. All you need to do is just say it. And if you say it, it'll be done. I know what it's like. I know my power and my authority. And what I say is done. And I know you've got that. So I know you can do it, but I know you want to do it. And you don't have to come to me. Just say it and it will be done. No wonder Jesus marveled when he saw that from a pagan, a Roman centurion of all people. Faith is believing and trusting in him. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Do you know what the very middle verse of the Bible is? Do you ever wonder? The very middle verse of the whole Bible, Psalm 118, verse 8, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It comes down to trust, doesn't it? Isaiah 26 and 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you Because he trusts in you. 46 years ago, Sally and I stood at the altar of a church and we made our wedding vows to one another. And I believed those promises that she made to me that day. And she believed those promises I made to her that day. We believed it. Implicitly, no doubt about it. Not a thought that it wasn't true. Believed it 100%. But every day for the past 46 years, we've had to trust each other to keep our word. We've had to trust each other that those promises we made that we would keep, that we would not break our word. And I'm glad to say we have kept our word. She has not broken her promise to me. I have not broken my promise to her. Because we trust each other. We believe the words of Jesus. We believe his promises to us. Yeah. But do we trust him to keep them, to perform them? Forty-one years ago, I took Christ at His word, that if I came to Him, He would not cast me away, and that He would save me, and that He would keep me. And I believed that. And I prayed that prayer, fully believing His word to me. For the past 41 years, I've had to trust Him every day to keep His word. And it wasn't an effort to do that. Because I believe him. He's a man of his word. He gave his word. He's going to keep it. And that's what keeps me. And that's what keeps you. Because we trust him. And we trust his promises to us. This is the wonderful thing about faith. It keeps you going through thick and thin. When you don't know what's happening around you, when you don't know what's happening to you, when you don't know why it's happening to you. And like Paul, you feel perplexed, but not in despair. You feel crushed, but not. You feel hard-pressed, but not crushed. You feel struck down, but you're not struck out. Why? Because your faith, your trust in Christ keeps you going. I think it was Spurgeon who said it. I think uh, certainly uh, years later somebody wrote a song about it. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When stuff is happening to you and you're tempted to say, God, where are you in all of this? I can't feel you. I don't know what's happening to me. Why is this happening to me? And you can't trace his hand in it. You don't know what's happening or where he is or what's going on. Trust his heart. His heart is for you. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you even right to the very end. So you can trust him today. No matter what you're going through, you can trust him today. For I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded. I am completely convinced, Paul says, that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him Against that day, what have you committed unto him? Your very soul, your very life, your very eternity, your very future is committed unto him. Can he keep it? Yeah. Absolutely, he can keep it because he keeps his word. So, what are you facing today? What hardships? What trials? What tests? What's causing you to fear? What's causing you to doubt? What's causing you to worry? Your faith. Is bigger than that. Do you hear me? Your faith is bigger than all of that. God has put something in you that's greater and bigger than all of those things that come against you in this life. Christ is greater than any adversary that will ever come against you. Paul says, Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. 1 <laughs> John 5 and 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world, John said, even our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in whom? Our faith in Christ. That's what causes us to overcome the world. Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all those fiery darts of the wicked one. I love towards the end of Hebrews 11. Talking about those heroes of faith. Verse 37 they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the word was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. I love what it says further up in that, in Verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Faith. What a heavenly resource. What a divine key. What a supernatural dimension that God has given us. What a weapon, what spiritual power the Lord has given us who believe and who trust in Him at all times and in every battle of life. Whatever you're facing today, be it physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, whatever you're facing today, your faith is bigger than that. Because your faith is centered in the person of Christ who has all of the answers to all of our needs. Yes. And that supply that we need from heaven to earth, yes. we receive it by faith. Yes. We reach up and we say, Lord, I trust you. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what my natural eyes are seeing at the moment. Beyond that, Lord, you're working on my behalf. And I'm going to trust you to bring me right through in victory. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you have given us the ability, the wherewithal, the equipment, to be able to live this Christian life in victory. And Lord, when stuff happens to us, as it does in life, And when the devil comes against us, as he does, in order as we go through different situations, Lord, that we'd rather not face, we thank you for this faith that you have put in our hearts, this unshakable trust in the living Christ. And we believe, Lord, that that will see us through. That will get us to the other side. Our boat will not sink because we're going to the other side because you have made us the promise. So we thank you for this today. And thank you, Lord, even if it's just a mustard seed of faith in our hearts, Lord, even that can move a mountain. So we bless you, Lord, that you've given to each of us the measure of faith. And we bless you, Lord, that it's that same faith that the elders obtained a good report by. It's supernatural. It's heaven sent. It's God's gift to us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more teaching resources, visit www.mpc.org.uk.